Please remain standing and pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a wonderful day, the day that you have made. And the only logical response is to rejoice and be glad. And Father, thank you for this wonderful message of Easter, of resurrection, of life, of being in fellowship with you, of being transformed by you, of being the extension of you in this world. And Father, as we come now to the preaching of your word, you, you know me very well. Um, I really don't have anything to say unless you say it. Um, don't have any thoughts running through my head unless you put them there, God. And I avail myself to the power of your spirit. Come and do what you desire. Say what you desire and accomplish the great work of the kingdom of God among us, Lord. And for your glory, we ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You may be seated. We will be focusing our attention this morning on the first epistle of John, one of my favorites. I love John. Um, I think he's a pretty cool guy. Uh, the bishop that ordained me traced his apostolic lineage back to John, so that's probably why I feel such a close connection to John, and um, it's good. Amen. Amen. A young salesman was disappointed about losing a big sale. New job, wanted to impress the boss, and it went all horribly wrong. And as he was talking to his sales manager, he was lamenting that, uh, he says, I guess the old saying is true, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager replied, he said, buddy, man, you've got it all wrong. It's not your job to make them drink, it's your job to make them thirsty. It's your job to make them thirsty. And that's our role is, as Christians in the world around us, is to make them thirsty for the gospel, to make them hungry for the living bread, to make them longing to have Jesus like we have Jesus in our lives. Not like this father and a little boy, seven or eight years old, getting ready for church and he was yelling from his room, I don't want to go to church today. I hate Sunday school. I hate church. I don't like anything about it. Dad said, buddy, you got to come to church. We, we go to church every Sunday. I don't want to go to church. You come down and we're going to church or you know what's going to happen. This was the before politically correct days. <laughs> you get the idea. Little boy comes down the steps, banging his feet as hard as he can, and you could tell he was huffing and puffing the whole way down. And he gets down to the stairs, he says, I don't want to go to church. He looks at his dad and says, Dad, did you go to church when you were my age? And the dad goes, Why, well, certainly I did. And he whips his head back around to his mom and says, You see, it didn't do him any good either. think we, he missed the point. We are here to make people hungry for Jesus. The world is longing to see the truth. And this is why in the gospel, Jesus tells the disciples and us as well, you are witnesses of these things. 
And that Greek word witness is the same word we get martyr from. It literally means one who remembers. And remembering in the Hebrew mind is not just some kind of intellectual exercise. Oh, remember when we went fishing and I caught that big bass? Yeah. No, it's more than just an intellectual exercise. It was making that past event a present reality. So when a Hebrew celebrated Passover, they were making the first Passover their tangible reality. When we are called to be witnesses and remember Christ, we are to make Christ the present tangible reality of our lives. That's why we're challenged, do this to remember me, remember me. And that is how we influence the world. Not with programs and agenda and flashy talk. They just want to see Jesus in action. And where will they see Jesus in action? Look around. We're looking at it. You're looking at it. But one can't do it. But we all can. And that is why John emphasizes today in this first epistle this whole concept of fellowship. Because out of that fellowship, we will radiate Christ-likeness. Because the Greek word for fellowship is pretty strong. It means a shared life together. And if you think about John is telling these group of people, hey, uh, you're sharing life with me, we're sharing life with God, and in fact, hey, we're all sharing God's life together. And if we're all sharing God's life together, there's something dramatic that must change in us. And we will have a dramatic influence in the world. And this is what John was telling them in this first epistle, the first four verses. I love John. He's not grammatically correct. In his original writing, the first four verses was one long sentence. He was from the South because that's what we do. A whole paragraph becomes one sentence and you don't understand the word we said. But he was literally telling them, look guys, we've seen him. We've touched him. We've heard him. Hey, you remember I leaned on him at dinner. I took care of his mom. He cooked us breakfast after the resurrection. We ate fish together. He's actually alive. He actually came. And this means fellowship, this shared life together. And that's what changes the world. And John is very specific about writing this kind of detailed information because there were two errors in his day, and they still kind of remain with us to some extent. And effects of it remain with us to some extent. And the first one, I'll try my best to pronounce it, doceticism, I guess. Anybody heard of that? Well, you know what? You hang around me, you're going to learn something. But that was an error in the early church that said basically Jesus was just Casper the Friendly Ghost. That's in the Southern Orthodox Theological Dictionary. He just appeared to have a body. It was really just basically a lot of what you're reading is just figments of the disciples' imagination. They thought they saw something. 
That's why John is saying, hey, no, we've touched him, we've felt him, we've heard him, we've seen him, we ate food with him. The other heresy is probably more widely known, Gnosticism, from the Greek word for knowledge. It said, uh, hey, guys, the physical body is bad and pointless. Don't even worry about it. Do what you want. Live how you want. It don't make no difference because only spiritual things are good. This led them to a very hollow spirituality. And John is emphasizing the way we interact with God is anything but hollow. It is a real, it is tangible, it's an experience. And what we saw in their lives and what we see among us today is we've kind of evolved into a Christianity that looks great, but is hollow. Much like the first Easter bunnies I saw at Harrods. Everybody know what Harrods is? It's the world's largest department store. It is in South Kensington, London. And me, good old North Carolina redneck, the first time I go to find this store that I hear about, I get out of the train station and I'm looking around and I don't see any kind of shop that says Harrods on it. And I, dumb American, I fulfilled the role. Um, I asked one of the guys coming in the train station, I said, hey, I'm sorry, do you know where Harrods is? And he goes, yeah, look up, you're in front of it. I was like, wow, it's like nine floors of opulence. And I didn't realize it was that. It's the whole city block is the store. And I went in, and I remember very vividly, it was Easter season, and they had this huge display of Easter bunnies. These bunnies, I mean, I've never seen any kind of chocolate shaped like that in my life. All I saw was Hershey bars. I didn't see stuff like this. This was way better than Kmart ever had to offer. <laughs> I'm telling you. And they were, man, they were really expensive, too. And I was looking at this one, and I was like, man, this is so amazing, so intricate, so beautiful, multiple different colors. And then I picked the box up. It was hollow. All that beauty on the outside, no substance on the inside. And that's where we find a lot of what's happening in Christianity today. We look good on the outside. We've got a streamlined system of programs to plug you in and hook you up and make you feel great about yourself. But there's nothing here. We've fabricated a Christianity that suits our liking, a spirituality that feels good but doesn't really impact our lives. And John is telling us today, you don't get to do that. You cannot incorporate Jesus into the lifestyle you want to live. He is not an accessory. It's a tangible experience, guys. And it happens in the ordinary, normal, talking, walking, grocery shopping, working days of your lives. Sounds like a soap opera. That's the ends of the sour boss. This is where Jesus wants to meet us. Where he wants us to live in this shared life with him. 
every day of our lives. And sometimes it comes as encouraging and sometimes it comes as correcting. And I had a very good tangible experience of Jesus correcting this week. And I'm going to share it with you. There in the rescue mission, I, I, we were pretty short-handed, so I, I wear multiple hats, multiple shoes, multiple pairs of clothes. It's multiple everything. And this one day, I'm, I'm just, we had all these um, Trader Joe's boneless chicken breasts donated. And I was like, wow, this would make a great chicken sandwich. So I decided to fry Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches for all the guys in the rescue mission. And if you want to know an insider secret, how to make Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches at home, marinate the chicken breast in pickle juice. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and put a little dill in the batter, okay? That's all you got to do. And it becomes the Lord's chicken. Tell you, you never know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> but anyway, so I did all this chicken, and it took several hours, and I was really hot that day because it was hot in the kitchen, and I, I really smelled like a big grease ball. And we're serving it. Some of the guys are like, well, this is great. This is wonderful. Thanks, man. Thanks. And one guy who's a known complainer comes through the door, and I also made fresh French fries from scratch. Better than five guys. One guy, me. <laughs> so I did all that, and here comes this one guy. And you know, we kind of we're kind of donation based. If it doesn't come in the back door, guess what? We don't got it. That's kind of the motto. And we ran out of ketchup. And this guy comes in. He goes. He sits down. He goes, "Where's the ketchup?" I said, "But I think we just ran out." The world was over for this young man. He began to go into this tirade of how in the world can I eat this food without ketchup? And I'm sitting there, and it was raw, boy. The volcano was brewing. <laughs> it was rising up, and I'm getting ready to, man, you, I was about ready to unload both barrels, not on EB, what I told him earlier, but on this guy. I was about to unload. And right as I was about to open my mouth, that little voice that hits harder than Thor's hammer, which always does. But he says, but you're serving me, not them, right? Wow. The experience of Jesus in our lives. That's what changes the world. It's a deep connection. As the scripture says, deep calls to deep. It's not a knowledge of details. I mean, I don't know what Jesus' favorite color is. Probably white, because it's where we celebrate with. I don't know. I don't know what his favorite meal was. I don't know if he liked grilled tilapia and barley bread or not. I don't know. I don't really know, really, kind of exactly what he looks like. we got an idea. I don't know how long his hair was. I don't know if he liked sandals or flip-flops. I know him here because miracle of all miracles he lives here he chose to live here 
And this is what John was telling them. And he said, oh, you know, we've seen it. And, and my immediate thought when I read this was like, yeah, great for you, John. You were really there. We're over 2,000 years removed from Jesus being physically on the earth. But he says, if you have fellowship with us, we have fellowship with God and Christ. So somehow by faith, this koinonia, this shared life together, becomes one huge movement of us with God and God with us. And it is so strong and so powerful that Paul would write to the Colossians in, in chapter 1 from the New Living Translation, because it's new. It says this. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, listen, here's our fellowship with God. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Whoa. Do you know me, Paul? <laughs> but that's how God sees us. When we are in fellowship with him, that's how he sees us. This is the life that will change the world. This Living together, this sharing together, the shared life of God together. It is really basically living love out loud. Not hiding. Showing the world what God has done and what he does for us. And John gives us a couple of things that hinder this life. Again at verse 5, he says, This is the message we've heard and proclaimed to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Light is illuminating. Then he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what's the first thing that hinders this sharing, this infiltrating of society with the light of God? We can't walk in darkness. That doesn't mean sinless perfection. Because we all fail. Anybody here perfect today? No, I'm not. Close, but not there. <laughs> like the old, what was that show? I missed it by just that much. <laughs> but what John is talking about is a life pattern that exhibits non-Jesus behavior. What is non-Jesus behavior? I can boil it down in one word. Selfishness. One pastor said several years ago, some hard-to-swallow words. He says, the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out of the door of the church, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This is what John's talking about. You say you know Jesus, 
and you don't live like Jesus, you lie. That's what he says. That's the Southern translation. You lie. You got to raise your eyebrows when you say it. Because Jesus is not just some ecstatic experience, a sanctified high to get us through. But it is a tangible life to be lived. By setting me aside. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way we can live in the light. By not being selfish. I cannot allow myself to think of me more than I think of Jesus and you. It's just that simple. But Paul gives us a great description of what this life looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. We all know we all read it in weddings. It really has very little to do with weddings. It has more to do with us living in this world. And I want to read from the message because I like Peterson's version. and You know, it's pretty good. And Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13. No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And he gives a description. Love never gives up. Okay. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Ouch, there goes my toe. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Oh, there's another toe. Doesn't keep score of the sin of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. How are we going to do all that? By the fellowship of Jesus right here. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's easy to lose our temper. It's easy to put ourselves first. It's easy to want what we don't have. It's easy to get upset. It's easy to feel good when people come groveling back to us saying sorry. But we are to make visible the void in other people's lives. And that can only be accomplished by the light of Christ's love. We are the light of the world. We are to be the influencer, not the influenced. I remember several months ago we were getting set up for some event at the rescue mission in this church, a very big church, beautiful church, new church, amazing church, good people. I'm sure they were. And we're walking down in the basement, and uh, they had uh, built-in air fresheners in the walls. I mean, they were like vents that blew out air fresheners. I'm like, man, these guys are high-tech, okay? <laughs> and we're walking in there, and... Uh, it was that time of year when pumpkin spice is all the rage, the worst time of the year. Okay. I already hate pumpkin spice. It belongs with pumpkins, not anywhere else. And we're walking through there to get something out of the kitchen in the, in the basement of this church. 
and they're pumping the pumpkin spice, and I get aggravated. I man, can they pick something else? This is a church, man. This is not Starbucks. I mean, frankincense it stimulates your concentration. Myrrh just kind of relaxes you, makes you more absorbative. Great things. This is why God said, use this stuff, not pumpkin spice. And I'm mumbling all this stuff in my head. And the Lord, again, he spoke that Thor's sledgehammer yet again. It's easy for my people to be influenced by the world more than me. We think it's trendy. Pumpkin spice air freshener. Yeah, let's get hip with the times. We're not called to be hip with the times. We're called to be Jesus. Your calling is to be a living gospel book. You are the bearer of the world's good news. Don't walk in darkness. Don't be influenced by the darkness. Be an influencer of light. And John goes on to say, again, if we say in verse 8, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I'm so thankful John put that there. <laughs> it's okay when we blow it. But what he's challenging us is uh, not to have an unwillingness to be honest about our failures. If we confess, God's faithful to cleanse us. We have to own up to the mistakes. Don't play the blame game that Adam and Eve started in the garden. God comes to Adam. Who told you you were naked? It's the woman's fault. And, and by the way, you gave her to me. So in a way, it's your fault, Lord. Eve's like, what? It's the snake's fault. You shouldn't have let him in the garden, God. It's our fault. The devil can't make us do anything. He's just a great suggester. It's our fault. And this is what John's saying. Just be honest about it. Because this fellowship, this shared life of God, is not built on the facade of perfection. But it is on the light of forgiveness. We're built on the light of forgiveness. That's why I love confession. I love the, the reconciliation of the penitent. Sounds so official when you say that. At the very end, I love the fact that this is what you will hear. The Lord has put away your sins. Go in peace and pray for me, a sinner. There's something comforting about that. You mean the guy in the robe is a sinner? Oh, yeah. Here. I mean, he's got the fancy robe with gold stitching from the Vatican. I don't know if it is or not. We're not built on the facade of perfection. We will stumble and we will fail. We will not always get along. We will, at one point or another, hurt each other. That's why St. Paul describes the church as Bearing with one another. Not very idealistic, but reality. 
We're a band of imperfect people forgiven by a perfect God. And we cling to his mercy. We don't make excuses to sin, but that is the greatest reason why we try not to sin. Because he's forgiven us. And John goes on to write something even more. He will forgive us. And hey guys, by the way, realize this. That if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. I'm not a legal guy. The extent of my legal knowledge is law and order on TV. That's about it right there. But what I do know is an advocate is one who is for you. Pleading your cause. And why is it important for us to have an advocate? Because we also have an accuser. And that accuser loves to whisper things in our head. Like, God's mad at you. You're nothing. God, he has forgotten you. You're a waste of time. You've wasted your life. You are worthless, ugly, useless. How can you even think God cares about you? But we have an advocate who is also the propitiation for our sins. The one who pleads our cause is the one who paid our penalty. What a genius masterstroke of God. And when he said it is finished on the cross, that guilt and that penalty, it's over. It's finished. He absorbed all the wrath. Because that's literally what propitiation means, wrath absorber. So when the accuser comes to accuse, our advocate scratches his head and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember any of this stuff you're saying about Shane, what? No, I only see holy and blameless without a single fault. <laughs> if that's not good news, there's no good news to be had. And as we experience this, our advocate whispers words in our head, if you listen very carefully, and this is what he will say. You are my treasure. My darling, my joy, I became flesh just to be with you. This is the experience in our lives that John says will be light and change the world. And as we experience this shared life of God together by walking in his light, striving for integrity and honesty and forgiveness, we will share it with the world. How do we make the world thirsty? By living in intimate fellowship with Jesus and letting it radiate out of our lives. Because they will see. And if you notice, when it's dark, as soon as you put a light on outside, what begins to happen? Creatures get attracted to it. When you let the light of Christ shine on the outside, men and women 
will be attracted to it. I close with a prayer that is not my own. But I found this this week and I close and leave this with you. Let us pray. Lord, we long to be a community that's gathered around your light. Experiencing it, touching it, seeing it, hearing it. In each other. In your creation. In your scriptures. By your spirit. That it would be all around us in a way that we wouldn't be able to help but to let it get out of us. Father of light, we pray that you would illuminate us. That you would just light us up like a city on a hill. That we would radiate your goodness. Because we believe that in you there is no darkness at all. May we live in your way with your heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.